everyone, welcome to another episode of the Zenway Podcast. I'm your host, Zenway. Uh, in this podcast, we talk everything about life, tech, and career. Today, I have a very, very dear friend with me, and I dare say he has been there for me in terms of actually quite pivotal career moments. Uh, he is also one of my uh, first college friends as well. We'll talk a little bit about that story if you're interested in a bit. Uh, he's also uh, currently doing his PhD as well in the UK. Uh, most importantly, I think you know why I wanted to have this conversation was really uh, you know both of us shared a lot of academic and also I think professional interests as well, uh, and he is at the very heart of actually serving uh, the refugees community as well. So I thought that this is a story that is worth sharing. Um, so I'm very excited about this conversation. But before that, let's you know let get everybody to know Douglas. You know why not you introduce yourself a little bit to the audience? Yep. Uh, thanks for having me as always, Zen. Um yeah, um, first of all, I want to reciprocate what you said. You know, I think um, we've had a lot of encounters, a relationship that, you know, has has gone in this intertwining way, I would say, you know. And and yeah, so so uh, it goes both ways. You know, you, you've been there for me too in, in many different ways. And yeah, I'm happy to have this conversation. And... Uh, and yeah, so at this point, uh, I'm doing my PhD, as you've already mentioned, and uh, I'm in the heart of refugee work, trying my best to, you know, to go deeper, to, to find better ways to, to serve the refugee community here. You know, it's a, it's a difficult space to be in. I've been here for, in this space uh, for about seven years now. And finally, at a point where I said, hey, you know, um, I really need more knowledge, uh, you know, a, a deeper understanding. And that's why I thought it's time to do a PhD, you know, and to, and to appreciate, you know, what's happening really with the refugee situation because it's a complex issue and, uh, and we definitely need more creative solutions. You know? so, so I think that's um, also a little bit about uh, myself doing a lot of startup stuff, uh, social entrepreneurship, dabbling in uh, non-profit work, and and I think those were the conversations that we've had too, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, and we've connected about stuff like that. You know, how do we start things? You know, when when it comes to education that is more radical, uh, that everybody can be part of. So yeah, happy to have this conversation with you. Yeah. Uh, we'll we'll probably kind of go go through this conversation uh, in in several parts, right? Uh, we can talk for hours. I think yeah. both our partners. Do we want to do that? We can. <laughs> <laughs> we, I mean, we're not at a level of Joe Rogan where we're where we're able to kind of do a two three hours podcast, but we'll see how it goes, right? I think the first part is uh, I wanted to kind of deep dive into uh, obviously your work in the in the refugee space. Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to kind of also talk about uh, I guess the social entrepreneurship and the startup things that we've done, and finally, obviously, um, you know, you always recommend me very interesting books to read, and what I I want to kind of provide that value to, uh, to, to more people mm, as well, mm. right? Uh, but first and foremost, uh, which is we seem to be a trend on my podcast now, is that you're also a psychology major, obviously, because you are my friend, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have, actually, I've never asked you this question. I don't think I have. So mm. that question is really, what made you choose psychology as your major? Oh, come to think of it, I haven't shared it with you. Yeah, I, yeah, I think right? so. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So why It's a great you? question, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I I, I was form four. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> suddenly, yeah, yeah, suddenly yeah. this story is emerging, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and in public too. That's great, man. I mean, <laughs> the uh, in school, um, I actually came across a psychology book in the library. Uh-huh. I think it was an intro to psychology book, something like that. Wow, you know? okay. So, so I can't even remember what's about, but but there were some things about the uh, forensic psychology. I reckon uh-huh. you know? so about serial killers. Uh, no, 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 no. It's more like uh, you know, forensic psychology as an eyewitness testimony and stuff like that. Right, right, right. The real yeah. reliability of you yeah. know memory and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. And, and and I was super interested in that. So so that was the probably the only book I ever borrowed from the library. Wow. And and I read that and I thought, hey, I want to do psychology, lah. Mm-hmm. You know, that was from four. Yeah. And and I also was. Uh, I was thrown into a vice presidency of a club called the Kiwanis Club. You no, know, back then. Uh huh. Yes. It's a. Mm, it's a social uh, service. Uh, yeah, it's a social service kind of thing. Yeah. A little bit like the Rotary Club, but. Uh, yeah, they were the yeah. the the. Uh, not, yeah, I guess you know the Kiwanis and the Key Club are quite similar. Ah, yes, yes, yes. You are right. The so Kiwanis the Key the Club key. is like the is like the school version of the Kiwanis Club. You are right. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yes, yeah. Yes, yes. So, so you know very well, no? Yeah. And uh, and one of the things that we did was uh, to 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 how to say to to spread awareness about Down syndrome children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so so I've had that experience. Yes. In school. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and and I think that kind of. Uh, cemented, you know, my my desire to to be in the psychology degree, mm. and and of course, you know, as as the as the psychology um, students of our generation would say, there's only one place you did psychology back then. Yes, right, and that's how that's how we end up. Yeah, that's help, that's yeah. how we ended up in the foundation, no? Yes. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I I I remember that. Uh, you know, we, we, we did psychology together and uh, and it was the first psychology subject. I think in Psychology 101, I think we were so gung-ho that we wanted to f- yeah, yeah, yeah. bloody ace that subject, right? And there yeah, was yeah, yeah. a presentation component to it. And you need to basically uh, present about a psychological subject and things like that. Yeah. And I think you mentioned a word in the beginning that probably fits your, your, your profile as well, being radical. Because I think the subject that we have chose to present was understanding rape. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And we and and we oh called man, our, those were the days. Yeah, man. yeah. We called ourselves Neo Freudians. Remember? Oh, oh yes. my god, cringe hundred <laughs> percent. But we we but we did well. We did well. We so chose, we must have done something right. Exactly. <laughs> I think we you know we chose the most controversial topic at that point of time, and uh, yeah. we we chose the topic that was very very hard to, I guess even speak to. Uh, you know, but but we did we did our research and stuff, and that was that was plenty fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think we we even went into like researching law. Um, you know what constitute rape, what doesn't constitute. It was really really eye opening at that point of time. Yeah. Yeah. And we were in foundation, mind you. No, I mean yeah. fresh out of, <laughs> fresh out of, for your case, government school. You know, and for my case, private school. But yeah. you know, we we didn't have that sort of exposure, isn't it? Yeah, you know, and and that kind of that kind of topic is really really something that is. You know, it, it's taboo. And yeah. I think a lot of psychology back then, you know, the awareness was low and all these were taboo too. Yeah, know? for so, sure. Yeah, and I think that kind of continues the thread around, I guess, after graduating uh, as well in terms of talking about grey areas, you know, underserved, underserved areas and, and, you know, taboo areas, right? You know, sometimes you, it's very hard to even talk about 
you know, refugees and their status here sometimes as well, mm -hmm. right? Um, yeah. So your path to serving the community of refugees is not an immediate one. I, I recall that very quite clearly. Mm -hmm. you, you took on a few roles after graduating, right? So mm -hmm. I wanted to kind of just unpack that a little bit in terms of, um, you know, what take you, what, what's that path that you took uh, mm. into serving the community? And I guess, you know, what are some of the takeaways from each of those chapters, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, um, I, I, I think, um, you know, for us studying psychology, usually, usually, yeah. if you are not, uh, if you are not one of those that, I don't really know what to do, I will just do psychology to, you know, to, to, yeah. to get along. That's one kind, it, yeah. If you're not that kind, you're probably seeking for something, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You know, there's something uh, you want to understand a little bit, you know, what your situation is. You wanted to understand others. Sometimes you for know? yourself. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I think it's really that reflection process that, mm. you know, that just keeps on going. Right. You know, even as you do psychology. And when, when I was, you know, the, the, the first couple of years when I did psychology, I thought I would love, you know, biology and stuff like that. It didn't do well. I think I got a D for you know <laughs> subjects like that. That subject was hard, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was crazy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But but some people aced it. Yeah, so, for sure. and the, and for me, I I was quite taken by the more philosophical areas of psychology. Mm. You know, um, why do we fear death? Right. Mm. Something that you know haunts me, haunted me a lot back then. Mm. Right. Uh. So what does it all mean? So if I die and there's nothing left, what happens, you know? And that and that sense of fear and stuff like that, isn't it? Yeah. And and I think you know, uh, my psychology journey has been that, you know, that search, you know, for meaning, to to really make sense, you know, why I'm like that, you know, where am I going from from here? And uh, and I think uh, after a while, I thought. Um, I wanted to go deeper into psychology, you know, study study even more, you know. So so back then I was thinking about all these philosophical questions, and I thought, you know, I want to do a master's in that area and stuff like that. So I went into you know to to do a master's in this thing called cultural studies. You know, um, it's an intersection intersectional area. You know, there's a little bit of philosophy, there's a little bit of history, politics, psychology, all going in together, right? Freud is at the center of it, but I'm not going to explain how. No, <laughs> and that's another podcast altogether. Yes, I, yeah. I'm happy to do another one for you. Yeah. you no, know, but <laughs> you, you know, so um, but at that point, what I realized is that you know, the deeper you go, there has to be an outlet, because you can keep going inwards, but if there's no way out, you end up uh, being uh, feeling a bit alone. You know, in, in the midst of all these books and ideas and, you know, the reality of the world and stuff like that. And I think um, there was a desire to actually do something. Mm. You know, there's a, there needs to be an outlet for action, right? There needs right. to be an outlet for meeting with people, to, to talk to the people who are affected and stuff like that. Right. And, and I think at that point, I started to realize, you know, I think I want to go back, you know, to, to serve the community. Right. And was there a... I don't know, were you experiencing uh, a situation, a social setting? Was it something that you saw, you read? You know, was, there, was there something that kind of prompted that? Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, the, it, I, I think it's a, you know, it's a very personal encounter to me. Mm -hmm. you know? So there is, a, there is a moment where I felt that 
uh, I must be doing this uh, for some reason, you know. Mm. And uh, and when I was reflecting on myself, you know, I, I started thinking, you know, I read all these books, you know, who is it really for, mm. you know. I, I'm saying that, you know, I'm getting involved in politics, blah, blah. But, you know, is it my ego, you know. Um, yeah. When I'm helping, is it because... I really wanted to help or is it, you know, because of my own pride and stuff like that. Mm. You know? And and I realized that it is uh it is meaningless if there is no other right. in that equation, you no. Know? Yeah. And and to me that's a that's a spiritual awakening of sorts, mm. isn't it? So I I think I realized then, you know, there's this there's this sense of a calling, you know, to to actually go down to the community and to be with people. Right. And and I think there must have been something correct about that decision because I've been there for seven, <laughs> seven years, years now. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, how do you... There are so many... Unfortunately, there are so many communities that are in need. Mm. Uh, how do you uh, ended up serving this very community, right? Mm-hmm. What was that story like? Yeah, um, so, so when I started, you know, working with Young Lives, which is the, which is the non-profit organisation I'm, I'm working for right now, uh, we wanted to provide education for marginalized youth, mm. right? And uh, I think in the first iteration of our program, it was supposed to be local poor youth and migrants. You know, it wasn't even refugees; it was just and migrants because we didn't really know any better, no. Yeah. But um, I think as time went by, we realized that actually the people who are knocking on our doors are the refugees. Right. No. And those it could be it could be the geographical location, you mm. know, because we are right at the city center and there are a lot of refugees around the area. Yeah. So maybe that could be a reason. But but I like to think about it more uh more as a more as a connection and opening of doors. Mm-hmm. You know. That uh that we were seen and there was a sense of connection, you know, mm. that, that we continue building on right. until today. Yeah. And, you know, in terms of the, you talk about iterations, right? Mm. I wanted to also kind of talk about something that you mentioned at the top of the show. You, there were initially, it was only this few, I guess, programs and the way it was ran. So when you went in, what do you see the immediate need was back then? And you know, what kind of iterations have you done, uh, you know, since then as well? I mean, I was part of some of these uh, chapters as well, right? Um, so, you know, maybe share a little bit about, you know, I guess, you know, to shed light on the, the situation on the, on, the, on, the, on the refugee group in terms of, you know, what, what are the needs are and how do you, I guess, adapt to their needs as well? Mm-hmm. So, so just a little bit of background, no? Mm. So the, the, the refugee issue here, if I were to really simplify it, um, um, of course, there's conflict at home, right? Yes. That's kind of why refugees flee from their country into our country, no? And the and the main issue with uh, refugees here in Malaysia is that they are considered illegal, yep. right? So there's this thing called the UNHCR or the Commission for Refugees uh, Convention, convention which is basically the refugee law. Right, that determines the status of refugees, and Malaysia is not a signatory to that. Mm. So basically, they don't recognize refugees, no. And and what happens then is that the rights that are supposed to be 
granted to refugees and indeed even human beings are not accorded to them because you are illegal, you are an alien, and therefore you don't have rights, right? So you are you are in a sense a criminal mm. here. And so you don't have access to education, needless to say, you don't have access to work, you cannot own pro- property here, you don't even have documentation, you know. Uh, UNHCR provides documentation, but that's not legal. Legally in, binding. Yeah. Mm. It's, it, I mean, it's a, it's a, some, some scholars say that it's extra legal, right? So it's somewhere between legal and illegal. Right. Yeah. That's the best mm. w- way we could characterize that. Yeah. You know? and, and that's why um, education is one of these issues that is, you know, that all the refugee communities are concerned about. Mm. And a lot of communities have their own community schools for young people, right? So because uh, if there are kids here, they will need to go to school, yeah. right? But uh, there is a niche area that is not covered as much, which is the young adults. So these are people who are already working, but they haven't finished school or they, they haven't gone, gone on to tertiary education. Tertiary education rates... Uh, for refugees are between 1% to 3%. Mm. Minus completion, minus the understanding of completion because we don't know how many actually complete and we don't know at what level that they completed. So it could be even a diploma level, a certificate level, degree level, those are not documented, right? So it's between 1% to 3%. In Malaysia, it's closer to 1%. Mm. You know? And that's kind of why we said, hey, um, actually for us, in young lives, what we want to provide is a sense of being able to develop young adults in terms of their personal development. So, you know, their soft skills, their character, their leadership, and at the same time, provide them some professional development as well. Certification that uh, they would otherwise not be able to get. Why? Because they haven't finished schooling or they just don't have the time, the resources to be able to do that. And... uh, and yeah, so so we started, you know, the uh, a, a program uh, that has English, IT, personal development, and the hope, our hope back then was to say that if they had these skills, instead of you know being dishwashers at the back, maybe they could go to the front of the counter, right, and be a receptionist. Maybe it pays more, you know, they have chance to actually communicate and things like that, So so that was the logic, mm. I think, behind the programs that we came up with. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, you know, the, you, you talked about, I think one, when we were talking about this, right, we were talking about um, how do we then overcome the, the challenges of any kind of non-profit where, you know, resources are scarce and, uh, you know, like the, the, it's just very hard to be able to find, you know, quality resources to be able to continue to, to fund the outcomes that you want. Yeah. Uh, and you and you still chose this path for for seven years. Right? I remember one time, you uh, you talked about social economic status mobility, social mobility, right? Moving up the social economic status. Sometimes, this education work that you're doing, you may not be able to see the fruits until the very next generation. Mm. Uh, and that's a very very long game. Mm. So I'm wondering, there must be some stories or some experiences that you have that kept you going and I wanted to uh, you know you know take this opportunity to ask you as well because I don't think at a personal level I have asked you this question and I think you know it's probably something that uh, is you know I, I believe that something's worthwhile to share to, uh, on, on this course as well right so do you have any stories that kept you going 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, for me, uh, you know, I, I I like to consider myself an educator. Mm. I like to. Yeah. You know the, <laughs> and and you are right. You no. Know, um. I I think the one of these concepts that we you know that we we like to talk about is the idea of the infinite game, isn't it? Yeah. And sure. when it comes to when it comes down to this, firstly, um, you know, the non-profit game is usually a loser's game, mm. in a competitive world, isn't it? You know, because of lack of resources, because um, it's manned by people with goodwill, but not necessarily having the sort of specialization, you know, that that resources can make happen, right? And that's why you know uh, a lot of it is trying our best to to build whatever we have, right, and to impact the people that we can. That's really the you know that that's really the the approach. Uh, uh, another pro- probably less positive way of saying it is we are fighting fire all the time, you mm-hmm. know. But yeah. but but that's why you know uh, a lot of what kept us going, me my team going is the is the fruits right the single stories that you know we hold on to until today. Yeah. Right. For sure. And and uh, one such example is. Uh, I believe this also, you know, is the is the sort of impact that we want to have. Mm-hmm. You know? We we train somebody in young lives, yep. right? They they were our alumni. They and then after that we sent them off to a sister institute of ours, you know, uh, to do a certificate in pastoral work, community development, mm. if you will. You no, know? so she finished another nine months. She hasn't finished school, right? So she doesn't have her school leaving cert. It's it's coming back. To bite her once she's resettled, <laughs> but we can talk about that in a bit. No, yeah. she she now has a certificate, and then she went on to become a social worker. Mm. And it's significant why because she is a so she was a social worker for not just a community but the locals who um, the local women who were abused, you know, by by their husbands and stuff like that, and went to a shelter. Mm. No? and and I think this is the sort of impact that we want to create. You know, it's not just it's not just a transmission. Um, sorry, it's not just the creation of people who are good at things, but the transmission of our values, isn't it? Uh, what we believed in is, you know, if we do good, you know, others would take that, take that energy, and also channel it back out, mm. right? And I and I believe we saw that, and that's the kind of thing uh, that we hope will continue going. Right, and this person has then also resettled in another yeah. country as well. Yeah, so so she's been recently resettled. Um, the uh, personal personal moment of mine was you know being able to send her off, mm. you know, in the in the airport. And where's she going? Uh, she she went to the US. Wow, mm-hmm. and it, it was amazing. It, it was an amazing experience, lah. You right. know the mm. knowing that uh, you know. It, You've contributed in some way to somebody's development, yeah. and and she's not leaving with nothing. Mm. No, there was something that you know she could have take that she could take with her in terms of the skills that she developed. You know the progress that she's earned here, and and I think the the people and the connections as well. Right, you know, these kind of stories are so profound when when I encounter it because uh, 
this is really changing somebody's life to something that they could probably at that point of time couldn't even imagine. Yeah. They probably were, I guess, less hopeful uh, at that point of time, right? So I think being able to cling on to that and have that fire to kind of keep thinking about how you can change the way you work to be able to create more of those fruits and stories is, is something that I've seen you, you know, continue to do for the past many, many years, right? And we always talk about like revamping the so-called business model, right? The way of your yeah, organization yeah. functions, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You've gone through, if you can count, you know, how many iterations now? Seven, eight, <laughs> countless. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I wouldn't know how to quantify them. Yeah. A lot. A lot, right? <laughs> so what, what, what surprised you or what it didn't surprise Let's talk about what it was and what it became to in more concrete terms, right? So that, you know, the, our audience can understand. Um, because you were talking about non-profit in a way that is, you know, quite dependent on, um, I guess, grants and funding, right? And what you aspire it to be, right? Um, what surprised you, what didn't surprise you in that journey of changing it? I'm sure, you know, there are many examples in the world. Some has succeeded, some has not, right? So curious to kind of know, you know, your story as well in terms of, you know, what surprised you, what, it, what you didn't when you're transforming the, the, the business model of the organization, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. The, like, I, I think when it comes to non-profit, sustainability uh, is always a question. You know? The reason is because um, you are always running a tight ship and you will never have enough to provide, uh, to provide people. You know, the, the needs of people are increasing, yeah. sadly. For the refugee situation, it's also true. You know, the number of refugees grows every year. And we find that there are more and more issues that we have to go into. So, so as a non-profit organization, the typical way of doing things is to raise donations mm. and uh, to write proposals so that you get in funding for the activities that you do. What we, uh, what we thought early on was, firstly, it's not sustainable. Secondly, um, there is still some stigma and discrimination against refugees here in Malaysia, you know, that makes it quite difficult for local funders, local donors to be able to contribute to the cause. You know? so, so, so we thought it's time for us to think about a business model, right? And that's, that's when I started to, you know, explore social enterprise stuff. Maybe we can start charging people for for the programs that they do, just a minor amount, that forms like 10-20% of the the income and maybe that can help us sustain a little bit longer. But I think what we realized, you know, after a year or so is that, you know, sometimes this, uh, this business models sound nice on paper but doesn't work in practice. Uh, mm. you know? The reason behind that is, of course, you know, the refugees... Or, or any local poor, for instance, their money is already tight. Yeah. They have a sense of scarcity, you know, a scarcity mindset that kind of limits Survival, the choices right. that they have. Mm. You know? So when they, when they make their choices about, you know, where to spend money on, would it really be an English class that they might not see results of two, three years down the line? Yeah. Or would they say maybe this can, you know, uh, Maybe this is even better if I donate it to my church because, you know, 
I know that is going somewhere that is really, really tangible, and that's God. You know, mm. so so in the midst of all these choices, we realize that you know the social enterprise model sounds great, yeah, but it's not so easy to implement, mm. and that's I, I think at that point we realize you know it's it's actually okay if we go the non profit route, mm. but of course we still have to be a bit more creative, you know, about how we sustain ourselves and things like that. Uh. So. So one um, one outcome of that is I think we beca- became more creative with our programs, because we realized that pro- running programs is something that is very labor intensive. Labor intensive means time cost, and time cost is also money. You know, yes. <laughs> this kind of equation I never knew I would understand this when I was studying. Yeah. But suddenly it made sense. No. Yeah. And the uh, and in the midst of that we realized that. Actually, there's just so much competition among all of us. No, all the NGOs, there are like two hundred refugee schools, but nobody is collaborating to do programs. And the question is why? Mm. No, and and that's why we started taking an approach where you know let's work with organizations, right? Different organizations. You contribute a bit. I contribute a bit. Um, you know, we we try to make it cross communities instead of. I serve only my community. You serve only your community, and we try to bring these things together. And I think we've been having some impact, you know, mm. uh, some impact that we haven't seen before. And I have a feeling that um, so so this is probably a bit more specialized nonprofit talk. But I believe that funding proposals of the future will be like this, mm. right? Will be these collaborations between organizations and communities, yeah. you know, who who all see a common issue that they can't tackle by themselves, but we have expertise that we can bring together. Mm-hmm. And I suspect that philanthropists, donors would like to see stuff like this today. Right. You know? And I think we are on the right path now. Right. And have you found the reason as to why has nobody done this before? Because it's blatantly obvious, right? It, or is it the case where I was just, I, I just listened to this yesterday that, that talks about how the easiest thing to do is also the easiest thing to not do. <laughs> is it just a case where you know people just they just didn't do it right, or they they were fighting fire every day so that you know they didn't even bother, even though it was just a knock away or a, or an email away. Yeah, um, I I think there are you know different kinds of ideas, the different kinds of ideologies that are involved, la, You know, so firstly, firstly there's a sense of competition. Mm. No, I think uh, a lot of non-profits these days they too adopt the startup mindset. Mm-hmm. No, I'm talking about the younger ones now, lah. They adopt the startup mindset and uh, they have to they, differentiate to stand out to win the most. Yeah. Funding. Yeah, and 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 that works to our detriment, lah. You know, for the older organizations, it's just the way things are done. No. Uh, the running an activity for a very long time, gaining very significant expertise, and you know, and building that, just like a corporation almost, you no. Know? And and what's absent from this discussion is the idea of a systemic, uh, systemic thinking, mm. you know, right. that the refugee issue I can't solve by myself, you know. How, at as of today. The refugees have no legal status. I I can provide programs. You can provide programs, but does that solve the problem? It doesn't, mm. right? And the only way to go about that is through collaborations. Uh. and that 
I think is something that people are beginning to see, but not uh, not as fast as we hope. Right. There are organizations that are doing stuff like this, and that's kind of those are the organizations that we work with. Right. Mm. You know, talking about uh, seeing finally s- some organizations have seen uh, seen the light. Seen the light. <laughs> <laughs> what are you hoping to achieve in the next couple of years? Uh, for I guess you know maybe it could be two prong right one is for the for the refugee community and one for for the organization I guess they're interlinked right um, but essentially what 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 do we see uh, you know your team and yourself achieving in the next couple of years right mm-hmm. I uh, I think right now um, the first thing is to is to just prove a model right mm-hmm. to prove a point right. To prove that we were right, you know, <laughs> that coming together to collaborate <laughs> yeah. is much better for everyone. Means something, I right? See. right? And and um, I think in practice that's what we've been doing, mm-hmm. and we will continue to do that. Uh. Right. You know, we will. We've made a conscious decision to to never just roll up programs by ourselves, right? You no, know? and and we mean what we say, la. And and at the end of the day, we also share resources. You know, whatever we have, we share with others, other organizations who would, you know, want to enter the space, lah. You know, right. and this is, mm, I guess, this is the the equivalent of, you know, um, if you believe in environmental change, I do my part in segregating the trash, no. Mm. And, and at the organizational level, perhaps that's what we are doing, lah. You know, if I believe that change has to come collectively. I do it by practicing collaboration. I do it by sharing whatever I have with others who want to do similar work, mm-hmm. you know, and not hoarding things like, um, you know, the the curriculum that I have, not hoarding the funds that I have. If there is a project, we can do it together. Let's get money together. You know, we don't have to fight over it. Mm. So that's one. Uh, to prove that point that it works. And I think results-wise, we can see some things. Lah. Right, and uh, and my my goal at the end is to be able to to coordinate. You know, it, it sounds very lofty, la coordinate, but it's really about you know having a movement of different organizations that would really be able to lobby uh, and to advocate for change mm. at the larger scale, instead of just thirty people in the classroom. Mm. So so that's the that's our hope la. and and I think we begin to understand that uh, we have to think as a movement. You know? so it's not about young lives being able to lead this, but young lives is be uh, is able to be part of this movement to pull people in, right. you know, to be in this ship together. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like the challenges of are. Uh, quite similar in uh, I guess even in the professional world when you want to make a big change to happen right mm. uh, first of all there's a lot of stakeholder management <laughs> second of all there's a lot of change management that you need to do when it comes to uh, you know how we collaborate at the I guess organization organizing level but the change management also need to apply to the communities themselves because yeah. you know the way programs are organized were quite community based uh, and now you 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 are now opening up to a different 
you know, a wider perspective as well, and, and yeah. you know, what does that entail? Sometimes has that change management as well. Uh, I do agree that, you know, th- there needs to be systemic change as well because in the professional world, if you can, you can organize all the different talks you want, but at the end of the day, if there are no policy changes, then there's not going to be a lot of, I guess, actual actual change that can come about it because the, the so-called infrastructure is not supporting it as well, right? Mm. I'm curious, like. Maybe you can name a few, like I guess, biggest challenge that you're seeing when you know trying to do this as well, right? Um, is it really stakeholder? And you know, if if it's really stakeholder, then you know, what are they seeing that could be an obstacle, right? Mm-hmm. The well, the of course there will be individual differences. So these are the you know the stakeholder differences that you talk about. Like some some stakeholders are hard to change, mm. but but. Is it just political? Is it just I, personal preference? Yeah, personal I, I, I like worldview? to. I like to take a systemic perspective on this line and right. say that, you know, the system creates outcomes that nobody likes. Mm. You know, sometimes that's the that's the system's thinking way of saying it, like, You know, people are stuck in positions, that that is um, that doesn't benefit anyone. But actually, sometimes people don't want to be in these situations. You no. Know? I think there was a there was an author who said something along the lines of you know sometimes you can't you can't fix systems no and it, 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 in a sense that if you are the problem even if I remove you from that system it doesn't mean that it won't work in the same way mm. it's because the system has created you in the first place so so no matter what there will be somebody who replaces that lah right reason might be one of these things isn't it you know he is he was there he was removed but he's still there you know and 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 these sorts of things make us think uh some that uh, sometimes the question is about how do we fix this or is it or is it the simpler answer that is difficult to execute which is do we create a new system as a whole mm. no because this sort of system has been there for a long time. The system of competition has been there. The system of uh, non-profit funding has been there. If we were to play in that system and hope that we fix it, we can't. So we can only create it from scratch. That's my sense. Uh, you know? right. So to me, it's about getting a bunch of stakeholders who are there for the long game, mm. just like you. Mm. And, and I don't see any other way to really do that. Uh, you know? mm. So... So I, I I suppose in in the long story short is I I no longer want to focus on the problems uh, you know yeah, <laughs> because yeah, the sure. problems I thought we can solve it's it probably too big for, for us to solve yeah uh, and it's too a, minute at the same time too am, am I really going to fix every single stakeholder I see I can't no mm. but I can create a new system and a new way of doing things uh, yeah yeah know? I I like that approach because you know I've I really did see more innovative uh, approaches uh, that, that came around and in terms of the different uh, programs that you guys have ran as well, right? Uh, mm. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about that, right? You know, what kind of programs that you've ran recently uh, for uh, trying out these approaches and, you know, what the stakeholders are, are, are seeing from this, right? And what, what the stakeholders are saying about this as well, right? Yep. So, so the, the, the most recent thing that we've, that we are doing right now mm. is a, uh, is a, uh, program for newly arrived refugees you know so so basically um, you know refugees who are just newly arrived they actually go through a lot you know firstly they are here sometimes by themselves so when they travel here they don't have 
uh, they don't have family members that travel with them and when they arrive they're still alone you know so so for the first six months or so they are just grappling and struggling with stuff lah. you know and this is one of the issues that we wanted to deal with because in Myanmar there was a coup something that was prob- that is probably invisible to many of us lah, you know uh, that the government the sorry the military junta just overthrown the government no and a lot more refugees kind of come from Myanmar and we said you know we have to be able to help them in one way or another and it's even more pressing why because when they come here they will be illegal isn't it mm. they are, they will be illegal they will have very little support they could don't speak the language so how are they going to manage yeah. no so from a hot pan into the fire yeah, yeah exactly from a from a fire to a hot pan <laughs> I, I I would say that because it's still hot, but it's not as bad. Maybe, right, I maybe. don't know. Yeah. But the 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 point is then to say that you know what they really need here, just like uh, just like any uh, good psychologist uh, counselor would tell you, is that you know is to build a support system, mm. and the support system would hopefully give them two things, isn't it? One is people that they can count on. You know that they know that they can, uh, that they can ask for help when they need it, so they won't feel so alone. And secondly, um, in terms of skills, knowledge that they know how to navigate Malaysia. You know, a lot of people are shocked when they come here. You know, I I was illegal in my country. I come here, I'm still illegal. Why? You know. Mm. So so that's the second thing. And and the third thing is to say that. In the part of Malaysians, we too have people who would be willing to be with you, mm. right? So this could be people in the in the communities of the churches around them who are locals who say that, hey, I'm in your neighborhood. Maybe I can, you know, if you need it, you, you, you need to go to the hospital, maybe I can help you, right? right. So hopefully with these things, they stand a better chance. Mm. That's the model. But what you need for that is actually a lot of stuff, right? Because you need a lot of expertise. Firstly, if it's mental health related stuff, you will need some mental health experts on board. You, for them to understand the nitty gritties of the law here, you will need a, a, an organization that does uh, labor migration and stuff like that who will be able to impart their knowledge. And we would need organizations to come on board and say, we are all part of this referral process. And if these refugees need anything, we can just directly connect. Mm. You know? So this time round, we piloted this with um, you know, three, uh, three other organizations doing law, mental health, and, uh, and human rights stuff. Mm. And, and, uh, and the Refugee Alliance you know, that, that transcends uh, just their community and it's a combination of different Myanmarese communities. Lah. So, so I think um, we've managed to do some knowledge sessions so far, and I think they will be better connected once we have you know other events that we are doing down the line as well. Right. Yeah, that's that's super encouraging because I I cannot imagine going to a country where you know I am considered uh, an alien and. Uh, it just limits so many different access to different things as well, right? Yeah. So having some semblance of support, some semblance of knowledge in terms of how to navigate things. And I think most importantly, they know that 
they're not alone. I think that is yeah. so much more powerful. Uh, and everything else we can we can uh, take different steps and different timelines to 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 address that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's um, it's really really very important work. Um, you know, I think let's shift gears a little bit. Um, mm. You know, we're, we're close to the hour, and um, you you rightfully pointed out that uh, you know that you are very philosophical. You uh, you have a lot of, I guess, you know, interest in very wide ranging aspects. I would say, right, um, and that's why you are the go to person whenever I need like different perspective as well, uh, different resources. Uh, so. I wanted to also bring that value back to you know wider community and uh, you know whoever's listening as well. What are some of the books that, I guess maybe recently or all time that are probably fascinating to you, right? Mm. And why? Maybe we can start with uh, just just a few, right? Um, I I would like to recommend one book. Mm. You know, it um, sounds like the if, the if, book. If, if anything else, read this one. Yes, for <laughs> I, I mean to start with, we can talk yeah. about this first. Okay. You know, yeah. um, I think this has value not just to, not just to academics. Mm. <laughs> you know, so let's not talk about research methodology. I think that's boring stuff. No, so <laughs> important, but yes, hard, hard, um, to, hard to be a table conversation. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> our, our, our podcast will go in a totally different tangent. But yeah, yeah. the um, I would like to recommend this book called Dialogue: The Art of Thinking Together. By William Isaacs. Mm, why? It's a it it's a book. To me, it's the. I don't know whether I should use this term, but it's the Bible of dialogue, you know. Mm. And uh, and it's important because what we realize is that a lot of the things that we do when talking, especially collectively, is not dialogue, mm. right? Um, and he gives a good sense about what dialogue is and isn't, lah. Right. And there's a fantastic quote, right, that he says, you know, uh, a dialogue is a conversation with a center but no sides. Mm. No? And a lot of what we do, firstly, you know, in our meetings and stuff is rush through stuff, right? Yeah. There's an agenda. Yeah. We end. Yeah. In the middle, we have some compromises, which means that there are some sides. We come right. to the middle. Okay. But there are sides, isn't it? Okay. We have debates, you know. Which side to take? Which side to take? So, so a lot of the you know the the so called um, I don't know how to put this, but there's a lot of YouTube videos about you know you are one side and I'm one side. Mm. Let's talk about our sides. But is that really dialogue or is that just you know showing the division? No. Mm. So, I think what this form of dialogue is talking about is that it's a circular process, right? Okay. Everybody is in a circle. We all have our perspectives. And we want to generate something that's new. Mm-hmm. So the book tells you how to generate this new meaning. Mm. You know, dialogue, he says, is uh, it's about how you make meaning mm. together. Right. right. And that's something that is amazing. Why? Because you have your individual limitations. I have my individual limitations. Um, and if we keep talking at one another, how do we see what's new? You know? And dialogue is one of these things that will allow you to uncover really what's new. Right. And that's something that is amazing and worth striving for. Right. Whether it's, you know, in our, in our conversations about politics, whether it's in our conversations about how to work together, mm. 
in building well. teams yeah. in innovations yeah so so it's definitely worth a read mm-hmm. this guy um, William Isaacs has done a lot of work in corporate settings in peace building settings and it's kind of cut across no so mm. so please read it then we can talk about it another time Yes, uh, it sounds like I'm adding to my ever-growing reading list. Uh, but it still, definitely sounds it's really still relatively untouched. <laughs> for sure, for sure. You know, the the past three years has been uh, intense to see, to say the least. But you know, I'm looking forward to read that book also because I think uh, moving forward, I realized that uh, that it's more. There are more conversations to be had. There are for more. Sure. Uh, I realized that actually a lot of times, you know. It's a given that we will, we, in, a co- in a corporate setting or in a professional setting, you will deliver the results that you promise or you deliver to the, I guess, expectation, the performance that you, that you said you would. Uh, but what I realized that what enables that is really just dialogues and relationships that we have with one another. Um, yep. it's, it's, uh, it's something that people cannot take away from you. It is mm. an impact that you can give and it is an impact that people cannot take away. Um, okay. So I think definitely the, uh, this book about dialogues is definitely worth uh, bumping up into the backlog of the reading list. What's another one though? <laughs> the, another one, since we've talked a lot about systems, yeah. um, The Fifth Discipline, okay. Peter Sanji, a legend. Um, just, it just helps to get an appreciation of um, how things actually work. Mm-hmm. You know? um, and allows us to finally see things holistically. Right. Not everything is separate. You know, the it's a very Buddhist thing about, you know, if uh, something causes something and causes something and, you know, there's this chain reaction. Right. And you imagine that there are many things that are caused at the same time, cross, crisscrossing, no? So, thinking assistance means being able to appreciate the whole. Mm. And I think this is a skill that will be necessary, you yeah. know, especially when we do social innovation work. Yeah, definitely. I saw a diagram around, you know, the, the many wicked problems, so-called yeah. wicked problems and how it, it's interlinked, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's one really fascinating uh, yeah. diagram that I saw. But I cannot remember who produced it. Do you, do you remember who produced I, it? I don't remember who produced it, but I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. And, uh, and, and I think one of the key takeaways of that is then we begin to realize that one issue that you are specialized in is always interlinked to With another. something else, yeah. And doesn't that call us to to collaborate? Mm. I think that's the sure. that's really the call to action for yeah, me. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like that's why I mean, serving in the mental health space in the past three years, uh, it it just reaffirms that mental health cannot be talked in vacuum. Mm. Uh, it that there's so many other factors, right? That's why you know we continue to hear people want peer to peer support, right? They don't necessarily just want to talk to professionals. What about yeah. people that are similar to them? They want to feel heard, they want to feel recognized, appreciated, so on and so forth, right? So it's not just about professionals. Access- accessibility to professionals is also about the peers. We saw how impactful lived experience can be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we saw the, the impact the, the impact that caregivers uh, can, can, can really affect the outcome, right? And yep. we need to take care of the caregivers. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So on and so forth, right? So... Yeah. Um, definitely another very interesting piece, the fifth discipline. Yep. Good things come in three. So the last one. <laughs> Good things come in three. Yes. Oh, um, the third one, uh, maybe a book that I'm carrying with me right now, which yes. is the, oh, the, the, the one that I've recommended to you and your friend. No? Yes. The Pedagogy of the Oppressed. 
No. Okay. And the this one is a little bit more technical, but if you bear with it, there are great fruits mm-hmm. to be told because it is really about how we do education differently. Mm. You know, and how we really privilege the learner and the learner's experiences and their understanding of the situation that they are going through. You know, because for example, let's talk about refugees. No, refugees have went through their violence and stuff like that. They too have a sense of what's happening, you know, and they have knowledge, right? So how do we then really teach them? Mm. You know, do we use their knowledge, their experiences to build something, or do we want to impose impose like road memory, right? Mm. And that's you know, Friere has a really great way of saying is he said, this is the banking model of education. Mm. You know, it's like a bank. You know, you just give, 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 give. That's right. it. No, and uh, and a lot of this ties back to, you know, William Isaacs because it's about dialogue. Mm. Dialogue is the way knowledge is created. Our engagement with the people who are suffering allows us to learn something as well. So this this process of change, yeah. yeah of relating to one another that's the key. Mm-hmm. You know? And so um, it's it's really a values kind of book. You know, I think it's the it's the kind of book that should touch you in the heart, mm. despite the language being a little bit archaic. You no, know? but uh, the if you it, even if you have a sense of you know the conscience that he is trying to put forward, there will be something meaningful to take away. Right. Uh so progressively more complicated, I guess. Progressive That's <laughs> it's true. It's true. I, uh, yeah, I think the the kind of books that you always recommend uh, are the ones that will that has the potential to kind of change your perspective, right? So I think that's yeah. what I appreciate about it. Um, I, on the other hand, are reading more, I guess, more mean <laughs> quote unquote mainstream books, right? Uh, the one I'm reading right now is. Yep. Uh, it's called Obstacle is the Way I don't know what's up with our Obstacle is the Way Obstacle Tell me more about way. Obstacle is the Way uh, you know, I don't know what's up with our book titles today It's it's a uh, very doom and gloom You know, the, <laughs> the pedagogy of the press You know, Obstacle is the Way uh, I, it's, 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 beyond, it's, it's based on stoicism, right? It's based on stoicism uh, cool, cool, cool. And uh, it's really just talking about The very practical way of Looking at Obstacle and 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 instead of going around it, you know, how do you go through it? That's why it's called, you know, obstacles the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it's quite radical in the sense that, uh, you know, let's say for example, if you see an obstacle, there's one thought that talks about, let's look at it half, half cup full, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's find a positive around it. Let's work through it and stuff like that. But this book is suggesting no, you need to see every single obstacle. As an opportunity It needs to be a flip A total flip Every time you see an obstacle What is the opportunity And what How can you break this Problem down And this obstacle down Into chunks That you can work on Right right Because the, uh, the other alternative Is that you are uh, Releasing control And therefore You'll, you'll def- definitely be Worse off in that situation mm-hmm, Now if you mm-hmm. have an obstacle That you want to go through You must be able to Have that total flip not the whole see the half cup empty because that's not gonna work. Uh, half cup full sorry half cup full that's not gonna work. That's right, right. the, I guess the the premise of that of that book right. Um, pretty mm. interesting. Yep, yep. Uh, very self helpy, uh, which is probably not your cup of tea. Uh, but mm. you know, it's it's uh it has some nuggets to to uh, that I've took I've took from it for sure in terms of how 
do you I guess liberate yourself from the circumstances I, f- I felt like that's, that's kind of what it is right because there's a lot yep. of it's not saying that you can control what happens to you in fact the book says that there's a lot of things in, in the world that happens to you that you cannot control mm-hmm. but what you can control as the cliche says that how you respond right yep, uh, yep. but it kind of puts in a lot of different examples and you know put it in a very concise manner it's not very long-winded in that sense mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I would think that the language is fairly in, uh, easy to understand as well yeah so that's kind of what I'm reading halfway as well yeah I, well I, I think that's super important no? because at the end of the day well the world is not always a good place you know yeah. and the, yeah. the, a lot of things that are happening yeah. Yeah. and if you are in the wrong state of mind everything can seem a problem yeah, you know sure. and, and really it's a Sometimes this reframing is important, not just not just because, uh, um, not just because it it allows you to feel better, mm-hmm. you know. But but it's also about seeing hope. Yeah. At the end of the day, you know, you, yeah. we can't we we can't keep thinking about you know the refugee problem. Mm. The refugee problem is that they are illegal. Yes. They're illegal. Then we cannot do anything. Then then end what? of story, right? Yeah, we we can't end the story there. Yeah. You know, and that's really the point, isn't it? So, yeah, so these sort of reframings are important. I'm, yeah. We are not saying that you know, you become super over optimistic <laughs> and you, oh, it's not legal. Right? We can make them legal. We can't. We can't. <laughs> but we know that there are certain things that can still be so done. How do we make it work, right? Yeah. yeah, 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 for sure. I think that's what is interesting about the book because it's not about toxic positivity. Let's let's yeah. put it out there, right? It's not about toxic positivity. In fact, there are many aspects of it that seems. Rather surprising from a stoic book in a sense Because you know how the, the cliche uh, I guess stereotypical view of you know, The words being stoic is basically You're kind of like nonchalant about things right yeah, Just yeah, like yeah. neutral all the time but Little did I realize they say you know There are lit- philosophies about stoicism That talks about how like you know You need to know that nobody's going to come and save you mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know uh, And I think the, the whole idea about that is Accepting the reality for what it is and to mm. be able to then spur the, the next course of action. Yeah. Uh, which is why I guess I like the book so far simply because I think I am a I have a very strong bias towards action, as you know, you know, yeah. after many years of yeah, 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 <laughs> dealing yeah, yeah. with me, right? I have a very strong bias towards action. I think uh, uh, you know that's why this book is quite interesting to me. Um, yeah, so far. Yep. So last question. If you could slip a bookmark. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, with a message into books of you know all these hopefuls that are you know learning or serving the community, you know, what would that message be on that bookmark itself? Mm. My um, my 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 colleagues who are working with me will be very proud of me to, for quoting this. Yeah, not not the young lives colleagues, but the okay. <laughs> you know the, my my university colleagues will be very proud uh-huh. of me. Yeah, the world has been given to us not to contemplate but to transform. It's linked to what you are saying to a bias towards action, yeah, you know? yeah. and uh, and the whole point is that you know we can't keep contemplating the world uh-huh. because at the end of the day we will know what's up, but we if we don't do something about it, mm. it goes nowhere. Yeah, you know you can be the one who do, do yeah. it. You know? This reminds me of something. I think I read this one thing where it talks about if you don't. Let's say you are contemplating and you, you, you know, violently disagree with this current situation or whatever it is, but you never do anything, right? Mm. You are just accepting the, the, the status quo to continue to happen. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. You are part of the problem for 
not taking action because you know you constantly just disagree and you're not taking action by not taking action you are perpetuating the very reality that you disagree with yep yeah i totally agree and and that's why entrepreneurial spirit is something that is very valuable isn't it yeah, most definitely <laughs> and yeah. in in areas that i you know least suspect as well right yeah uh which is you know extremely important so we're gonna we're, we're up to the hour uh, we can do this much much longer if we if we want to, but you know I, I think it's a it's a good point to stop over here. You know after listening to that very profound uh, quote, we should all reflect on <laughs> the realities that we that we want to change, right? Uh, so you know finally you know Douglas, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, uh, Sen. Always a pleasure speaking to you. 